Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. Uh, we're in John chapter 3, and we didn't, we didn't finish it up last week. We talked quite a bit about weddings, right? And uh, bride and bridegroom image that, that John picks up on. And... Uh, yeah, with the bride and the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom and what does it mean to be the best man and, and all of that. And then, um, but we didn't quite finish that up. So I don't have another handout prepared for you because we, uh, uh, I was actually at Mequon most of the week, but then in between that preparing to go to Indiana for my grandfather's funeral and uh, just one thing to another. I had to prioritize on this week. So that's fine. I don't have a handout for you, but we have some to do from last time and then we can just dig into the next text. Uh, without a handout, I think. So let's begin with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you sent into our midst uh, prophets and apostles and preachers uh, to preach your word in truth and purity, to not point to themselves, but to point uh, to you, the bridegroom who has redeemed his bride. We ask that our eyes would always be fixed through the words of those whom you sent uh, upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good. So uh, let's read to start us off. Ooh, I feel like we probably... Oh, do we, how much context do we want? We probably don't need too much context. Well, why don't we read 25 through the end of the chapter again, just to get us uh, the bigger picture. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, and must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth, and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Okay, very good. Now the first part we talked about at length with the bride and bridegroom and, and the friend of the bridegroom and then the joy, right, being fulfilled and how um, it, would, it does bring or should bring unless he's a jealous man, the friend of the bridegroom, it should bring joy to him when, you know, when, it's, when his job is done, right? When the, the bride and the bridegroom are joined in marriage. So, um, and, and that's the kind of joy that, um, I don't know about you, but I have, like when we see a child be baptized, when we have um, someone come into the fellowship who's already baptized but came from another uh, church body, that it does, it brings me joy. Or uh, even more joyous, I suppose, is, when someone who has um, absented themselves from the Lord's word and his gifts here, anyway, um, is restored. It comes back, right? Like the prodigal son. There's joy, joy of the angels in heaven, we heard um, when we had that text a few weeks ago. Was that two weeks ago? Yeah, I think so. All right. I was going to wear a long sleeve shirt so you didn't have to see that. Oh, well. Workplace injury. Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> Workman's confidence. It wasn't here, so you don't have to worry about it. So let's see. Joy. He must increase, but I must decrease. Right? We talked about that at length. 
um, and especially just in our opening prayer. All right, and then I suggested, and I think your Bibles do, and we've talked about this a number of times, verse 31 begins a summary confession, maybe from John the Evangelist, or it could have been added later. And I think this is maybe something that we need to talk about a little bit more, um, our doctrine of inspiration. All right, so when we say the Bible is inspired, what do we mean? Words are put into the author's mind. Yeah. The content, the content comes from God. The content comes from God, yeah. That's probably the best. Um, because it, to be inspired is to breathe into, right? Like when you expire, what is that? <laughs> your, your breath leaves you, right? To inspire is to send the breath into. So God, it's uh, usually it's translated in English, I think, in first letter to Timothy, uh, that all scripture is God breathed, right? And uh, suitable for reproof and correction and training and doctrine and all of that. So it's, it's God breathed. Um, but he does use instruments, as he still does today, both uh, means of you know, earthly elements, like water, bread, wine, right? but also the means of a pastor or a parent or a teacher um, or even a friend. You know, we have this mutual consolation of the brethren, as, as Luther calls it, where we encourage one another with God's word, that he breathes upon you, but he does it through an instrument, through another voice. Right, so sending prophets and apostles and evangelists and, and uh, pastors to be his voice. And so they're breathing out. But with the scripture, it's a little bit different, right? Because they're breathing. That's breathed into by the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> the way that we receive the scriptures, I don't know what, what you all were led to believe or, or explicitly taught, um, you know, I kind of had this concept as a child that it just kind of dropped from heaven. It was God, where's the Bible here? You know, that this, this book, you know, it's like manna from heaven. And, just, and there you have 66 books, and these, these are all definitive. And uh, it was many, ooh, many weeks ago, months ago, that we, did we talk about the, uh, the levels of, uh, what do you want to say, authority that some books carry versus others? Did we talk about that in here? All right, Ron says no, so it's worth a review, because I think I did, but you forgot. That's okay. Um, so there is, um, I'm going to try to remember these. These are Greek words, so you have to deal with it. Homo-legomeno. All right? And then there's anti-legomena. It just means, that's a fancy word, not legos. That means uh, words, words, right? So words. So here we have words that are spoken with, right? Same word. So this refers to what we call these. Are, these are the. Um, well, I don't know how you want to say it. Uh, I'm trying to think of an English way to translate this. That you understand. These, these are the. These are the accepted books. That's how I'll say it. All right. These are accepted completely by the church, universal, right? Then you have anti-legomena. These are spoken against. That doesn't mean they're not included, but they're there. There are some other categories of scriptural texts that um, you may have heard of. Um, there's... Uh, let's see how you spell this. How do you spell Deuteronomy? E-U. E-U? Deuterocanonical... Oh, that's a good word. And... Uh, and there's pseudo. Ah, oh, that didn't spell that one right. That's another one. It's EU, right? Pseudo-cagrapha. Oh, there we go. Well, I don't want to give you any more. So when you're talking <laughs> about the Bible, there's books actually in our Bible that are, there's accepted books. There's actually books that are spoken against, but that are included. And then that means that they, they hold a secondary authority. Okay? So, James? Yeah, Book of James, Revelation, Jude, uh, what is it, Second Peter maybe, and uh, I think all the Johns are included. All right. Oh, I forgot the other one. There's another big word you probably should know. You've heard of this, apocryphal. Paul, I think that's how you spell it. No. With letters. My sixth grade teacher would be really upset. Handwriting. That was her thing. Uh, anyway, apocryphal, and you know the apocryphal books too. We'll talk about them in a moment. 
right, so books accepted, books spoken against. The books spoken against, like Revelation, James, etc., are included, but they weren't universally received by the church, but they were included because enough received them to say, we can include them, but we're not going to read them. We, we really don't ever read the Bible alone, but we're not going to read these books for doctrine alone. So, if the, like, for example, if you read about a reign of a thousand years of Christ upon the earth in Revelation, that's not testified to anywhere else in Scripture. So you have to understand what St. John is saying there in light of what God has actually said, that Christ will come again to just living the dead and destroy this earth and, and create the new heavens and the new earth that we will have, okay? And that, there's not this thousand, the thousand year reign has to be understood in a different way. And the way that we understand it is the reign of Christ in this church. And it's not a literal thousand years now. It's a, we call it, we're all millennial. We live in the millennial, but it's not a fixed millennial. All right, so that's just an example of that. But homologonia, antipologonia, deuterocanonical, uh, those are books that were written to sound like. <laughs> They're like secondary scripture. So they, you hear some of these. Uh, that's not quite the same suit, bigger fold, but we'll talk about deuterocanonical. Uh, you might say, hmm, like the, the epistle to Diogenes, I think it is. There's books written in the first century that don't go in the Bible. Because they're probably not written by apostle or they're not testimony of them. Pseudopigrapha, these are books that are particularly written to sound like Bible books. This, our closest equivalent to a pseudopigraphal book, that would be like the Book of Mormon or the Quran. I mean, these are books that are written intentionally to sound like Bible books. They even just wholesale copy and paste chunks of the Bible so that it sounds like, like it's a, you know, a church text. And then apocryphal books, um, let's see, I gotta think what the etymology of that word is. A, that's against, right? Hmm. can't remember what the etymology of the word is. We use this in a very kind of technical term to say these are the books um, that were received by the Jews as anti-legomena. So the Jews, the, the, the scriptures, you know, the Old Testament as we call it, there are books that they included that, but they didn't recognize as having, being a source of doctrine. And those would be books like the histories of the Maccabees, first and second Maccabees, that one. There's a longer ending to the book of Daniel that they added on, like the Song of the Three Men, which we actually use in Turkey. We like sing it at Jesus uh, the Easter Vigil in particular. And the apocryphal books are always included in Catholic Bibles. They're always included in Lutheran Bibles until English as well. Yeah. So that's one of the points to note. Luther had Luther had basically three tiers. So he would say doctrine can be understood doctrinally only when they're read in light of this book. Apocryphal, they have things that we probably don't agree with, but they also have some things that are kind of useful for religion. There's some wisdom and other things. So Luther included them. He's like, there's no reason to throw them out. Because he, what Luther did is he said they have the same authority that the Jews give them, which are devotional books, basically, you know, and not really doctrinal books. So it didn't bother him. But now we have this, it's really coming out of what's called fundamentalism in the U.S. especially, where it's like every book, like the, the, that some held this view that, you know, they kind of went into a trance and they just wrote it and without even thinking, which is kind of nonsensical. Um, but also that all the scripture has the same authority. And that's why fundamentalists often are also millennials saying, like I mentioned before, that that Christ will come for a thousand years because Revelation says so. And you're like, do you recognize that the church has said from the third century at least uh, that they weren't really sure that it should be included, but enough churches had included it in their scriptures that we'll just keep it, Revelation. Because again, useful for uh, devotion in particular. And it's also a book of comfort. Revelation, some people use it to terrify you, like that whole series of books back there, right behind Ron, the black, black spine ones. It's like supposed to drive you crazy and make you worry and fear and doubt um, about Jesus coming again. And like, no, Jesus coming in judgment is actually <laughs> meant to encourage you because it's the end of this, this struggle and the beginning of the new life. Uh, not the beginning of the new life, the, the uh, culmination, I would say. All right, the reason I bring this up is that here, which verses 31 through the end of the chapter, again, this is, I, I think it's right to understand this as you're stepping back and there's a commentary happening, even within the text. So we're stepping out of history and testimony into a kind of, a, what do you want to say, like a, like a teacher might. Like we, now you've heard the story, what does this story mean? Right? And you talk, talk through 
Um, like if it's a fable, you talk through the moral of the fable, right? And try to get to the higher meaning. And here, um, I would say this is John the Evangelist, but he's doing this. Incidentally, another reason I bring this up today is that uh, I was looking at some study of Exodus, and uh, it happens in Exodus as well. So, you know, so we think about the manna incident in particular. This is what, what we're, I was looking at. The manna, it says that they ate them. When they, when, in the story, when the manna is first given, it is said that God continued to feed them with manna for 40 years. And so at the same time that you hear the first, in the, the chrono, chronology of the history, the manna is given, you also hear that it's going to keep going for another 40 years. So that, that's the commentary from whoever wrote it at the end coming back and saying, okay, you know, by the way, this man, you know, it's going to continue for 40 years. So there's all sorts of, if you, if you stop to hear it, there's commentary. And you say, well, who wrote the commentary? It actually really probably can't be Moses, even though we say Moses wrote the book. It could have been Joshua added some commentary to Moses. Probably the last chapter of Exodus is written by Joshua. That would be my guess. Because um, it talks about the death of Moses. I mean, he's a prophet, right? So he could have foretold it, I suppose. Um, but it, this is not, again, the reason I bring this up is that this is the kind of thing that people will um, come at you with to say, well, the Bible, you can't, somebody made it up. Because look, there's these moments where somebody's obviously inserting a t- you know, some commentary about what's happening here. And that means they, that the, the incident didn't really happen. You're like, well, not necessarily, but it does mean that, that they told the history uh, not just as a history, just not as a fun story, uh, but actually for the benefit of faith, right? That they're, they're if you in a, in a, in a, I guess in one way you'd say they're trying to teach a lesson. You know, what is God trying to, what was God telling us or what was the purpose of this? Um, you know, it'd be kind of like well, this happens actually in fiction, right? Where you have, you know, you'll have like first-person dialogue, and then the narrator, you'll get into the narrator's voice, and the narrator will tell you what, you know, maybe maybe not commentary, but will at least step back and say, well, the trees were green, and the, and the and, I don't know, they were tall and blocking the Wi-Fi, something. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All right. So, does this? I mean, this, has this ever bothered you? No, you probably haven't thought on this level. But people you, will use it to say the Bible's not true. That's the reason I bring it up. Yeah. Um, talking about a thousand years, mm. some scripture. Isn't there a section where it talks about a thousand generations? That says up to the third or fourth. Oh yeah, to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yeah, is that literal or is it a just a really big number? Thirty thousand years. That's right, if they're 30-year generations. Yeah. Uh, there are some who've t- probably taken it that way. You know? Uh, who, well, yeah, and like, uh, who is it? Usher, I forget his name. He was a Jew who, who said that, you know, the earth started on April 6th in 6438 BC. You know, like, um, yeah, the numbers aren't always that precise. Right? And uh, there are some who say that, that the genealogies of the Old Testament intentionally skip generations. They just kind of, you know, we'll skip ahead a little bit and then just jump in again. I'm not, I don't know if that's even necessary to do. Yeah, it's just, it's not the point of the text is, like, like I've said before, it's not to teach science and it's not to teach, like, the history of the world in a very specific chronological sense, but certainly in a creation sense. I mean, here's another example. In the Genesis story, the first time, uh, since chapter one and two of Genesis, the first time that, that the Sabbath day, the seventh day being a day of rest, is mentioned. Yeah, is it Sinai and Exodus? 400 and whatever, how, however many, th- I mean, it could have, it's probably actually a thousand years or more later. So you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought God wanted us to keep the Sabbath from day, day seven. I mean, it was right there. He said he rested on the seventh day. They didn't understand it as that means we should take a day of rest universally. And what does Paul tell us about the giving of the law at Sinai and, and like the Sabbath day in particular, third commandment? It was given because of trespasses, because people didn't stop their work to hear God's word. That's why he gave the law, not because um, they were already doing it. Maybe some were, but, you know, um, it was because of trespasses. So, 
There you go. So again, you think you we just see the beginning. There's marriage and there's Sabbath and there's um, oh, I don't know. There's vocation and there's all sorts of things going on in Genesis, which is true. Uh, that doesn't mean the people at that moment, when even when Moses gave it. By the way, he didn't write Genesis down probably or didn't communicate it until probably Sinai anyway. So that's another whole interesting note. <laughs> I mean, it had been oral history maybe, but that's how I would argue it was. But it, that's that whole textual transmission conversation, like how do we get the Bible that we have it? It's not even really a concern of the Bible, of the scriptures, the Old Testament. It's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal in the New Testament when it comes to like, did, is what the apostles saying what Jesus said? Because again, as we've talked about a number of times, Jesus' interpretation of the scriptures of the Old Testament is the definitive interpretation. Right? And so that's why the authenticity of the apostles' teaching um, of Jesus' word is an essential question in the New Testament. Because he's the only rabbi now. We don't have all these rabbis telling us what they think the Bible means. Yeah. It really shouldn't be too difficult to accept that people receive the word from Moses just as the prophets did yeah. later on. They just, they told well, it's possible too. Yeah. They told people what God had told them. What else was he doing on the mountain for 40 yeah. days? Yeah. Just hanging out with God? Chilling? All right, let's look at, the, look at that commentary then. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. That's a repetition, right? All right. So um, if you look at the notes here, you've got one of the handouts. Uh, Again, it's commentary, sermonic confession, maybe. And then there's some correspondences. And this is what helps us understand this as commentary, is that verse 15 and verse 35, 36 are connected. In what way? Anybody see anything that seems comparable between those? Again, between verse 315, so you kind of have to keep your finger in two places there, and 335, 36. I didn't read that far ahead. Oh, yeah. What do you see? Jesus. Okay, Jesus. Good. Maybe we'll do it this way. 315, 335. There's a few things, I think. So you've got Jesus in both, right? And the Father, right? Is he in both? Yeah. Yeah? Believe. Yeah. Father, and then believe. I didn't need to drop some columns. And then eternal life. Alright? And and then, okay, so what's the next one I give you? What are the next two verses, sets of verses? Uh, 336 and 318. Okay. What's in 318? Condemnation. Is that also in not 36? Con- not condemnation, if you believe. And if you don't believe, condemnation. Mm-hmm. Um, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on you. Yeah, so can you say that more clearly? How do they correspond? They don't always have to be equal, as in they're saying the same thing. They could One could be answering the other one. What do you see? Whoever believes in the Son. Yeah, believe, right? Yep. All right, you have belief. What else? I think you're right. Wrath of God and condemnation correspond to one another. Right? This is the condemnation. Right? Who does not believe the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. He who does not um, come to the light is condemned. Right? You see that? Well, that's actually 1916. He who does not believe is condemned. The wrath of God abides on him. That's what the wrath of God does, by the way, because it condemns. Which is why Christians don't experience the wrath of God. It's another story. We are disciplined, but God is not wrathful towards us. All right. How about uh, 331 and 33? Oh, you got to jump way back for that one. 331 and 33. Oh, yeah. That one's pretty easy. What's the thing that corresponds? Talking about that whole language of 33. Yeah, baptism specifically, which language though? Born, yeah, and we talked about being born again. What's the, the word there is anothen, anothen, which means to be born again, or it can mean born from 
above, yeah. So the language here, 331 and 3.3, it's actually the same. Above all, or to be, um, is also from above, it's the same word, right? So we, again, we have some commentary going on here. And, uh, and what we're saying, what he's saying, I say it's the universal, or the absolute and universal witness of John, um, John the Baptist, that John's witness um, is definitive. The com- let's see how I, if I can say that another way. It made sense when I wrote it. We can have to, have to think about it again. That everything that we've been telling you about John um, isn't just a historic. It's not just historic data. It's not just this interesting thing that happened in Galilee, or actually by the River Jordan, right? Not in Galilee, but that this is actually important for you and for your faith. And that it's and it's definitive. What he bears witness to, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's still true for you today. That's I think that's what, what the commentary is trying to drive at here. Or to summarize, Christ is the Son of God, and the Baptist, you know, behold the Lamb of God, that's universalized to encompass every man. All humanity shares in common disobedience, all humanity shares in the necessity of the new begetting. I just used the old Bible word there, that new birth of baptism. So what happened at the River Jordan with John and Jesus, and with John's disciples and Jesus' disciples, all this stuff we've been talking about, it's not just, again, an old story, but it's the same story. It's your story. All right? That just like those who came out to John to be baptized, and then John said, um, actually, he's the one that needs to baptize you now because my time has ended. That's still true today. We, don't, we talked about like being baptized with Jordan River water, didn't we? Yeah, it's kind of gross water, by the way. I, I had a member who had some on the shelf and wanted it used for a grandkid, and it was just like this brown, murky stuff. And, you know, it's stale by that point, too. Do you, know, do you know there's a long tradition of actually not using stagnant water for baptism? Using Because Jesus calls himself living water, so to actually use running water, so like river or stream um, rather than a lake. Um, and then also, you maybe have seen this in churches with fonts that have water that has like a bubbler in it, <laughs> you know? That's not a fountain necessarily. All fountain language is of course biblical too, right? Um, so I think we're, I'm thinking of St. John Wheaton, but I'm trying to think of somewhere else where the water just keeps bubbling over and then there's like drains in the floor in a slot and then it so it keeps moving like it was a river. Did, did you know that's a thing? Water does kind of get stale, doesn't it? If you let it sit too long? Yeah. I don't know. Is there another word for that? I said stagnant before. I guess stuff starts growing in it is what happens. All right. So we all share in that. This is not just a unique story to them, but it's a story now. All right. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. Right? That's not just he who comes from above is above all, meaning Jesus, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth, John, he who is above all is above all. But it's actually, this is, this is still true. You are of the earth and only can speak in earthly ways, but he is above all and comes um, from heaven for you. Yeah? I'm just going to comment on the water. How amazing it is. <clears throat> since time, since the world began, water has come out of the earth. Yeah. And it's pure. Yeah, the mechanism now, of that. Moving through, yeah, it comes through the soil. moving through the soil, through stone, and it, it actually comes out pure in a sense, you know, actually healthier with mineral content that you need for your life too, right? It's not, I mean, hard water is not, I know it's a problem for our, um, what do we call it, plumbing? <laughs> yeah. And here, here the scientists try to figure out all these ways for water to be found on planets and stars and all this stuff. Yeah, but if there's water, because they presume, rightly, from the Bible, actually, that if there's water there, then there's going to be life there. Yeah. And that, that's not a, I, I don't think that's actually an unfair assumption. It's just good luck with that. And if there was water there, then maybe there was life there at some point. No, there's plenty of, I think, you know. I think it is. I like the way that C.S. Lewis calls, he calls God a divine fox. You know. <laughs> so, you know, that he, he sends you off on little, like, 
you just go chasing after that rabbit, right? And you're just like, and it's, it doesn't take you anywhere. And it's just, he was just, in a sense, being playful. I don't want to say he's, he's having fun with you because that makes it sound like he's kind of abusive. But no, it's just like, oh, it looks like there was water there. I mean, there's canyons and valleys and things. Um, I mean, there may have been, or he maybe made it that way. It's like, yeah, you can just have fun with it, right? I mean, don't, don't take it all too seriously. And that's what people do. Um, because we have the testimony of Jesus. I mean, that's the, this is really the key point. Um, if you look at creation for things that God hasn't given it for, apart from a blessing or benefit to you, um, you're going to start to get very uncomfortable with, um, like, geology, um, the evidence of, or, or even just, like, kind of the capricious nature. We were talking about tornadoes before we started, you know, like, why tornado there at that time? What has God got angry with them? You know, Pat Robertson did that famously when there was the tornado, or not tornado, the hurricane that hit Haiti. Uh, years ago now, I can't remember how long ago that was, and said, well, that was God's wrath against voodoo. We're like, uh, show me in the Bible. Uh, that's By definition, that's a false teacher, by the way, who speaks outside the word of Christ. Uh, okay, so what are we talking about? Yeah, thanks, Ron. There is interesting that there's water. 32, or no, 30, yeah, 32. And what he has seen... Now, this is the problem. Pronoun agreement, right? What who has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony? Who's the he that's being referred to here? Jesus. I would... I think it's John the Baptist, right? There's witness to it. I mean, it, it could be he was from above, so it could be Jesus or it could be John. Right? I don't actually think it's the evangelist, the one writing here. What he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. I mean, is that John? Actually, who didn't receive Jesus' Jesus's testimony? Actually, no one, right? Yeah, so, may, so <laughs> I think it's referring to, again, pronoun agreement. He who comes from above, above is above all. Well, we know who that is because we've already heard that before, right? John 3, yeah. 3, earlier. So that's Jesus. And then he was of the earth. Da, da, da. We assume that's John the Baptist. And then it comes back. He who is, comes from heaven is above all. So, okay, that's the guy we're going to talk about. So this is, I guess this is just grammar, right? That guy again, remember who that is? Jesus, right? What he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. And, it's not, and we talked about this at length. It's not like he says easy things to receive. You know, you must be born from above, born again of water. How can I be born again, right? Remember Nicodemus just a little few weeks ago? All right. So no one receives his testimony. Jesus, the word, gives witness to himself. This is what I wrote in John 1, 14. He is the word made flesh. Now, I know that's kind of a mind-twisting idea that the one whom God sends is also the word that God speaks. And when Jesus speaks, he's speaking the Father's Word, because He is the Father's Word, <laughs> and He is the Word that was spoken by prophets of old to testify of His incarnation. Uh, okay, so, but that actually, maybe it isn't so mind twisting. That Jesus spoke in days of, well, actually, that's what the writer of the Hebrews says, right? In, in days of old, the Lord spoke to us by His prophets, but now in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, right? So in the days of old, he spoke by the prophets of Jesus, Jesus' own word. Jesus spoke to the prophets, and the prophets spoke on his behalf. But now that he has come, he has spoken to us directly by way of his own flesh and blood. And now he speaks to us directly again through instruments of apostles. So there's kind of a, um, I don't know, it's like a bow tie every time you draw it, draw it. So I don't know what it actually means, but you've got like this broad view of history. It's all culminating in Christ. And then, and then it expands back out. So you have this moment in time of Calvary, and actually, I would say Bethlehem too, right? And every, on all time, all everything in history has been working towards that one moment. You know, these thirty years or so, and and then everything since then has its meaning in that one moment as well. And it's all growing out of that moment, right? But all things, all. You know, if you want to use the parable from a couple weeks ago, you know, that, that my house will be filled. That's the point of the story. Right? 
Christ, uh, all will be in the invitation of Christ to his own supper, and he will fill his house. And then that will be the end of time, and the beginning of eternity for us. Right. Yeah. Tells us that we're in Genesis 3.15. Right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> again, commentary. It does seem to be commentary, but it's promise from God, right? This is, you know, the, the, your offspring is going to uh, be bitten, uh, be injured severely, right? Um, but he will destroy the serpent by his being bitten. Which, of course, is not talking about just like a snake bite and then, oh, you need this little antidote? No, this is the snake bite that leads to death. So it's, a, it's actually a promise that by your son's death, he will bring about the destruction of the one who tempted you, the destroyer, the serpent himself. Anyway. Uh, let's see, what else? The Baptist and evangelist repeat, confess, echo. I give you three different ways to say that. The witness of Christ. All right, so now, it's hard because there's so many Johns involved, right? <laughs> so John the Baptist and John the evangelist are both repeating um, what they've heard from Christ. Now, they have different vantage points, right? John being in that historic narrative, the, the, you know, the, the cousin of Jesus, uh, roughly about the same age, pretty close. How many months apart? Months apart, yeah, very good. And uh, uh, but John the Evangelist being, I gotta think if you want to do the math, I guess maybe he's about maybe he's pretty young as an apostle, 17, 18, maybe like like Gabriel. We'll call Gabriel the beloved one, right? Beloved disciple who just sits next to actually, the rabbi wouldn't be be as old as me. We need a 30 year old, we have no 30 year old rabbis here. (laughs) <laughs> you know, just close by. Maybe even younger, maybe like 14. To imagine then that, you know, um, you know that he's just this teenager and he gets kind of caught up in the whole thing and leaves his home, or leaves his fishing job, right? Working for dad in the Zebedee, daddy-o. I say John the evangelist is John, the son of Zebedee. Okay, just so you know. All right, you got it? Good. Uh, let's see. So they confess the witness of Christ. So they tell of like the blood and water coming from his side. The spirit, John Baptist says the spirit heaven coming from heaven as a dove. He's the lamb of God and that he's the Christ. So all these things are testimonies, repeating echo what they saw and heard from, from Jesus. Which then means no one has received his testimony. When did they receive his testimony? Yeah, after his death. That's right. After, well, namely after giving him the Holy Spirit. Really, I would say Pentecost. Um, yeah. Then, then these things, they remember that he. They, well, who gives it? Is it Matthew that gives those? And they remember these things. Oh, is it? It is John, actually. We'll see this later. Well, they remembered all the things that he had said to them, or that this is that he had said to them that by manner, by this manner, he would die. You know. It's like it's this little side note just to say, oh yeah, remember he's we're writing this down. They remember that this actually happened. They're not just making it up again. So very important. So no one receives his witness, his testimony. Uh, verse thirty-three: He who has received his testimony has mine says certified. Is that what you've got? Yeah, yeah, certified that God is true. Right, so um, those who saw and heard did not receive it, but the one who has received it is certifying that it is true. Would that be John? Yeah. Now we're now we're jumping into John's voice. That's exactly right. The evangelist, right? I would say even the Baptist too. Um, there's some. We'll hear this story. What point do we hear? I'm looking at Ethan. Kids, do you, what point do we hear the story of John the Baptist sending his disciples to Jesus to ask him, "Who are you?" It's in the summer, I think. No, it's not. It's in Lent. Are you the Christ? Are you the one who's to come? And some would say, well, that means John the Baptist, when he's in prison, is doubting that Jesus is who he says he is, which is possible, I suppose. Um, But I give John a little bit more credit than that in saying, I got these guys that keep visiting me in prison, and it's not about me anymore, so go to to that guy. Go to that guy. He's the guy. I'm going to be in prison. I'm going to die. Right? And, but he does it in a way that they'll actually do it. Like, just go ask him this question, right? Trusting that Jesus then will give them an answer that they'll say, oh, now we get it. This is where we're supposed to be now. And how many, you have to do the math, how many of Jesus' 12 
uh, were Baptists of John the Baptist, or disciples of John the Baptist. We, we looked at this, right? We, we've already met a few of them. Philip, was Philip one? No. Andrew was. Andrew was. Where the Zebedee sons were? I have to go back and look at that in chapter, was it in chapter one? or is it, Yeah, it was in chapter one. But that, I don't know, somebody will have to do, do a Google search or something and find out how many of Jesus' disciples had been disciples of John the Baptist. But he does that handoff, right? Like a baton toss, I think I said, or baton toss. You don't toss the baton. It doesn't, that doesn't work. You hand it off, that's right. Like, just go that way, you know. Um, to receive the witness of Jesus, I wrote, is to accept as true that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in him is eternal life. That's what it means to listen to Jesus. Now, it's not what everybody says. Some people say to listen to Jesus is to accept him as your, what, co-pilot? Personal savior. <laughs> Jesus is my co-pilot. He's my personal savior. But even that's a relatively okay because you're at least acknowledging that he saves you. He's your savior and he saved you. Uh, Jesus is actually a very personal savior. Um, that's not what people mean yeah. by it. They mean that they I have accepted for Yeah, they have accepted him into their heart, which of course the Bible says that you, no one can accept him. Um, only he who has been born from above by the water and the spirit through baptism. There you go. This is what the Bible says. All right, which we've studied. Why did I bring up? Oh, we were talking about you know Jesus. There's different. I, I, I say it this way in sermons. Yeah. Just to aggravate people, probably, you know, like which Jesus do you believe in? They're like, wait a minute, there's only one Jesus. What's your problem, Pastor? It's like, well, actually, no. Actually, people have very different. They approach Jesus in very different ways, and, and really, they make him into different kinds of people, a different kind of Jesus. So there's the Jesus who's your life coach, right? Is that primarily what he's what he's about? Life coach. Well, yeah, actually, I mean, eternal life, <laughs> resurrection. But no, what they mean is like, tells me what to do each day. Um, no. He says, I didn't come to, what, keep, I mean, what did he say, to, with the law? I did not come to, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And if he fulfills the law, then it, the, the law actually, for... Abolish. Is abolished, yeah. Not, not abolish the law, but... Yeah, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? So he doesn't say that it was wrong. He says that it's now complete in him. Right? And then he gives you that law-keeping as a gift to you as well. Let's see. Uh, so not moral example. What's another Jesus that you bump into? I like no more Mr. Nice Guy Jesus. There's a little bit of that. The wrathful Jesus, you know. You brood of... No, that's John the Baptist. Um, you hypocrites. Um, yeah, cursing the fig tree, casting out the money changers, right? And you'll see this pictured in, in memes now, where it's like Jesus is like a bodybuilder on the cross, and he's breaking the cross behind him. Like, that's not exactly how the Bible pictures the cross. He's broken by the cross, not the other way around. But anyway, yeah. Um, and so what, what's the Jesus that we find here? The one who John bore witness to, right? And that now John the Evangelist um, also testifies to the one who is the son of God, who is the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world in him and in only him can he be born again, have eternal life. That whole testimony of the last three chapters, right? Uh, is what is necessary to receive. This is an interesting statement and maybe you haven't thought about this. To receive is to become as that which is received. Mm, all right, so what would be an example of this? Uh, if you are received by the United States of America as a U.S. citizen, you are a United States citizen, right? They're receiving, or you're receiving of that, really as a gift, um, makes you what, what you've been given. Yeah? Uh, so it is with Jesus. To receive Jesus is to become Jesus. Right? We use other language for that, the body of Jesus, Right? Or the body of Christ, we say sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To receive is to be given that which is the proper possession of the one who has sent. Uh, so this is how Jesus says it. I mean, all that the Father has has been given into me, and now I get, and now I say to you, this is Matthew 28. That's the part that we don't usually hear. It's the part that comes right before. 
go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching everyone, you know, and teaching and um, all the things that I've commanded you. And we also created He'll be with you until the end of the age. But the first part, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore I say to you. Which is what? He's giving you what he has received. His authority, but namely just the power and ability to make disciples. And to, um, that's, that's his gift. That's him doing it. And he gives it to us. And we become part of that. We're joined into that. So, well, let's use another example then. Um, what happens if you receive, say, I don't know, Christ's body and blood into your mouth <laughs> to eat and to drink? What happens? You receive bread and wine in your mouth to eat and drink. Okay. Yeah. And it's his body and blood. If you're receiving his body and blood, what? You've been joined to him. What'd you say? You're receiving him. You're receiving him, and now he makes you his own, his possession, actually, through that gift. You're joined to him. Everything that is his is yours then, too. That's like marriage. We're talking about bride and bridegroom, right? We actually make that promise, I think. How's the wedding bells go? It's been 21 years. I can't remember. Sickness and health, you know, richer, poorer, all that kind of stuff. I don't actually think we say, and combine checking account, we should put that in the vows. Um, that's the hardest lesson to learn, probably. Is like, yeah, we're going to combine our CD collections. And they, that's a dated reference. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, what would be the thing today? I don't know. You could just drive my car now. It's you know, part of the deal. I just drive yours. And if I crash your car, that's like I crashed my car. Not to pick a particular example. All right. We really like that car. It's too bad. We wouldn't have it anymore, I'm sure. All right. Uh, let's see. By receiving what is his, we become his and of him. And in, that, and in this way, set our seal that God is true. Right? So when, the, when you bear, what you bear witness to personally as a Christian in your life is that you are Jesus's. And that you know where Jesus is. And you know what Jesus has said. Because he's given it to you. Right? We, we just over, I think we just overthink what we might call evangelism to the point where it just becomes what? This fuzzy thing that we're like, I don't know if I could ever do that. And like, what do you mean you don't know if you could ever do that? It's already been done to you. You already have it. Like, what? I already have it. Yeah. Like, somebody says, you know, why do you go to that church? And you don't have to overthink this. Just say, well, because they have great programs and, uh, you know, pastor is good-looking and winsome and, <laughs> his, you know, or his kids are so well-behaved and don't make any noise in church or whatever it is. I mean, people are, I'm sure people have reasons for going to church like that, but that's, you say, no, I go because I, I want to listen to Jesus. And that's where Jesus does great things for me like he did, you know, for his own mother. <laughs> All right? Does that make sense? So, I mean, that seems good. And just talk about it. And I say, well, what exactly does that mean? And you say, well, you know, we have this thing called a creed, and it actually says exactly what, what we believe. And here, have you heard of it? You know, Jews apostles, because it's shorter, you know, <laughs> and not have as many philosophical jargon in it that get people confused. The Apostles' Creed, right? the baptismal creed, you know. It's like, well, how do you pray? And I say, well, we say our Father, who art in heaven. You know? Like, wait a minute. You don't have to, like, no, you don't have to make things up. You've already received everything you need, right, to, to testify that Jesus is true. They say, well, how? I mean, a great example um, this is St. Paul, you know, be prepared to give a testimony, right? And was like, well, or to bear witness. Well, how do you prepare to bear witness? By, by receiving, yeah. You receive so you can give. I have said this in a sermon last week, I think, you know, that you are loved to love. Or maybe I said two weeks ago. I don't know, the weeks are blurring together. This is the problem with trying to do more than one job in the summer. And I'm like, I don't even know where I am most days. Um, it's a nice service for the church to be able to help with our youth, one of our youth organizations, but it also is a big distraction for a couple weeks each summer for me. I will not do four conferences because that pastor is not going to be gone for a month every summer. Unless he's on vacation and actually resting. All right. I'm not going to do some other work. Uh, let's see, what are we talking about? Oh, yes, testimony. So you have everything you need to testify. I think that's an important point. And the evangelist is making that too. We've received 
and we testify. And because we testify, then you know that God is true. He's done what he said he would do. For he, verse 34, he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit uh, by measure. How do you understand that? God does not give the Spirit... Yeah, I think that's a be- that's a better probably way to translate that. With it's it actually is it is measure literally, uh, out of met- metro metron, uh, anything that is measured. But it can be length or, dis- or width or height or depth or liquid measure. It can be any kind of measure. So he does he doesn't give the spirit like in small doses. You're having a little vial of the spirit. Think about the language again of the Psalms we heard about the cup overflowing, right? With goodness and mercy all the days of my life. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, right? Does that sound limited or like... hmm. Now, Luther does warn his uh, Germany um, that that the Holy Spirit is like a passing rain shower. So uh, be attentive to God's word because it can just move on to another place. And unfortunately, the history of the world does bear this out. But there are large swaths of the world that once were predominantly Christian, not Christian predominantly at all anymore. North Africa um, uh, was, was called Asia Minor, where Paul did his work, which would now be Turkey. Turkey, yeah. Which is actually, I think, nationally Muslim, right? Even though we have air bases there. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know how that all works out. Right, so uh, so there is a warning, of course, to to not forsake God's word, because um, while He is long suffering towards us, uh, He also, as we see over and over, will send His people into exile for generations or more. Right, and then ultimately on the last day there is a final judgment, and um, we shouldn't we don't have to like it, but we shouldn't be ashamed to say. Um, <laughs> like the billboards driving south in Indiana. Maybe you drive south on 65, like towards Indianapolis. All right, that's how I have to go to go to my my folks in Lafayette. And there's there's a billboard, two sided billboard. It's black and white. So it's black background, white text. And then going southbound, it says hell is real. Period. And when you're driving northbound, which I, I think they hope that you'll come back the other direction at some point, <laughs> Jesus is real. <laughs> it's like. I, part of me is like, eh, maybe you should say both on both sides, but so you, you don't want to leave people without gospel, you know? Like get in an accident on the way home, on in the next you know stretch. But uh, you know, hell is real. Jesus is real. Uh, but we don't want to soft pedal that either. Is to say that there will be a final judgment, and there will be an end, um, and that's actually meant to be a comfort to us that suffering, pain, sorrow, misery, death, all these things will be brought to an end. Um, but it is heard as a word of judgment against those who refuse to receive that from Jesus, right? Um, so uh, beware of those who would say that the, something called annihilationism. Have you heard of that? That when you die, you just become nothing or you just become part of everything, you know? Which in one sense, you kind of do, right? <laughs> Your stuff kind of, well, unless you're in a big concrete vault that can't, I mean, how long does it take for concrete to degrade? Yeah, pretty much never, right? from what we can see. Uh, And then, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, I mean, that's kind of black and white. That's, that's, uh, what do you want to say? Polar. Um, It's either, it's not either or thinking, it's, or it is either, is it? Grammar. Um, It's all or nothing, really, right? I'm not trying to think of the word Dichotomous? That's no, not a dichotomy. It's not a balance at all. It's either this or that. They, there's no in between green. Like, well, he who kind of believes, either you believe or you don't. We've talked about that. Now, John's concept of faith maybe at times is different than that. Even in the sermon today, I'm going to suggest that faith grows. Um, but ultimately, it's trust in the sun or there's no trust in the sun. And that, in that respect, no. You know how you trust your son, or where you trust the son in your life, that may change over time. But you either trust in the son or you don't for your salvation. Does that make sense? And that's that commentary again. And that's the he's what 
the evangelist, I would say, is saying here is everything you've heard so far, that's been the point, is believe in the Son and you will have everlasting life. Right? And if you don't believe in the Son and namely receive the, th- the gifts the Son gives, like baptism, which is what these chapters have been about, you're actually denying the Son by denying baptism. That's not a problem in our midst, but it is generally a problem um, throughout the Christian church. And, well, at least in small pockets. Uh, one more note here before we depart. The love, or the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. That's in verse 35. Love is the content of the divine majesty. So what does it mean that God is majestic, Lord? How majestic is your name in all the earth? Who is the, who is the name of God? What's his name? Jesus. Right? Jesus is the love of God. The power and majesty that the Son possesses and exercises lie in the love of the Father for the Son. So the Father gives the Son unto death because he loves the Son. And he loves everything whom this, he has given, everything that is the Son's, which is you, namely. Thus God's power and majesty is known in the Son as Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's just such an important point, and I, I, I know I've emphasized it many times already. People look for God's power and majesty in, like, I don't know, Niagara Falls, right? Which is majestic and it's powerful, but it also will kill you. Even I know people like to go across in the in the barrel, right? And just to see if they can make it. I'm like, you're flirting with danger there, man. And what does First John four nine say? Four nine and ten. First John is definitely, I would say, the evangelist John preaching. <laughs> this is definitely a sermon. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Now, there's lots of love in this chapter, but in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. By the way, might there does not mean may. Wait, did we, have we talked about this grammatically? Okay, actually it was an argument on a tech podcast to listen to, but you don't have to listen to the podcast. But um, the difference between can, should, may, and might, they're not all the same. I mean, can and should are obviously different. But may and might legally don't mean the same thing. May now today implies what? If you want to, yeah, permission. Uh, Might actually here means that it will happen. So it's a future, kind of a future tense thing. I don't know how to fix this grammatically in English. I just leave out the word usually because it just throws people off. So what was I saying? Oh, that we live through him. I just leave the mind out. Because it's, we don't have to get into the grammar. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a blood sacrifice atoning cover for our sins. We can throw a lot of words in there. <laughs> Propitiation. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So see how it works? Whose love comes first? Not that we loved God, but that God loved us in his son. And only being in his son ought we love one another. And I, oh, that word, ought. <laughs> that's, the, that's almost like a knife, isn't it? Because it, it also accuses. You ought to, meaning... You don't, yeah, yeah. So he's trying to, he's doing it in a very pastoral kind of way, saying, I'm not seeing the kind of love that the Father has loved us, right? And then he keeps going on that. All right, so that's love. So now we, I didn't want to, I thought we might dig into four, but we didn't, so that's okay. John four, which is uh, more baptism, but beautiful stuff too. If you want to read ahead, that way if you have like questions about things you've read in the text or if you read in commentaries or sermon or however you want to do that, feel free um, to look at John 4 and that can guide our conversation. It doesn't have to be just me talking. Man, there's so much in there. I don't even know what, how far we'll get. It's such a beautiful text too, John 4. All right, the part of the Lord's peace. Let's uh, go have some matines. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin.
If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.